0: It's Talking Football with Vince Tracy and Rob Daniels. So, a well, I'm tempted to say a very good day because that's a nice way to start what we do. However, it isn't a very good day. It's been awful. The weather is grey. The mountains are obscured again, totally covered with clouds. It has been raining. It will be raining. It's the 24th of March 2022. we still got problems in Ukraine. Um, So that's the first thought before we even think about talking football. Let me get in the car, go across the mountains, Driving today through mist and rain and fog and all sorts Let's find out what it's like down at Playa San Juan So, good morning to you Rob, how are you and what's your weather like?
1: Good morning Vince, good morning everybody Yeah well this morning the weather, it's not raining at the moment But as you mentioned we've had constant rain for about the last week haven't we It's been very very overcast um, It's very very good for the countryside but uh, and the uh, agricultural industry But it's been the wettest start to um, a spring since 1950, apparently, according to the local newspaper. And it looks like it's going to continue for the next few days at least.
0: Well, when, I, when you say it's been very good, apparently it's not so good from the reservoirs because Terry was telling me last night, uh, Alphas Del P have told everybody they can't use the water and uh, it's because the chemicals are washed off the ground and the land and uh, pollute the water. So if your water is grey and you don't have to drink it, then it's better to drink bottled water, so they say. Okay, well, look, uh, we do have lots of things going on uh, which we do need to discuss, and none uh, really as important um, as Ukraine. But uh, we will go straight to the football because the podcast is a form of escapism and let's hope that those that maybe need it uh, feel that we are getting away from uh, the horrific problems and the suffering of the people in that area. Um, We start off looking at Harry Kane and, of course, uh, with the England players uh, getting ready to think about Qatar. Well, they're on the international break this week um as you suddenly have seen all the uh, the leading footballers and not so leading footballers are now suddenly very very well educated politically aware and all the sort of things that uh, in the past we would have criticized footballers for not being so uh, harry kane doesn't come across to me as the most uh, educated man but maybe i'm wrong maybe he has uh, got something that we need to hear But why didn't he say it at the time that the venue, the location of Qatar as a World Cup location was being uh, generated and everybody knew that it was going to be there? Because, quite frankly, um, it's all very well. uh, You know, once the gate has been opened, all the plans have been laid. And here we are, uh, March, we're being told that uh, he's now waking up to make a statement. So what's your take
1: on that? Well, Vince, um, number one, I think when they announced that uh, this World Cup was going to be held in Qatar, I think uh, Harry Kane was probably still at school, um, because they announced it in 2010, I believe, and... um so he wasn't even a professional player then, but, uh, but yes, he, please, what's but, actually happening? But I
0: suppose you could really then immediately say that he's had since 2010 to be informed about some of the things that are going on in Qatar and uh, basically all the that region of the world where suddenly all the money has come into the British game, the English game in particular, and yet uh, when it comes to uh, accepting your salaries, there's not so much of a problem, but when it comes to uh, creating social mayhem for everybody else, um, they do it at uh, maybe the wrong time. Anyway, let's get your version on it. Here we go.
1: Right, well, basically what Harry Kane, um, as the England captain, has done is the England team, the England squad now, um, are all together because they've got these um, friendly matches um, in this international uh, window this weekend and they had a meeting between the players and other staff um, on Tuesday and they actually made quite a bold statement that um, they are thinking about how the best way to protest about the human rights issues in Qatar will be because England have already qualified for the World Cup and they're going to do it as a team. Um, they've got not the official backing of Gareth Southgate, the manager, but he is fully aware of what they are, are talking about and. I think eventually he will officially give them the green light on whatever they decide to do. But it's all to do with human rights issues, things like, um, well, in these certain Arab countries where they've got very, very strict laws, where women don't have equality and they still behead people and all that kind of business. But what they're actually going to do is Harry Kane is in touch with many other national team um, captains throughout the throughout the world basically he plays with a couple in in the Tottenham team but they're going to all try to get together and see if they can do some sort of group um, protest that respects the world cup respects the the people of Qatar but actually uh, some sort of protest against the human rights issues that there are in that part of the world and this is very current news Vince I mean this is an ongoing story which we'll have to discuss as, as things progress Yeah, well, it's
0: great, you know, lovely to hear that they are interested, because, you know, the minute that Qatar was announced, people like myself, probably uh, everybody that's been connected with our podcast has been saying that there's human rights issues that are not being addressed, and therefore uh, it's not a good place to play. Also, it's too hot. It's the wrong time of the year for every other country. So uh, why doesn't he address those type of issues to bring in, Uh, the reasons why maybe uh, it makes more logical sense uh, to then go on to the human rights issues because obviously um you, you know you you become visitors in whatever country you visit you don't become politicians representing every other country in the world i mean uh, the politicians should have maybe stopped these games from going ahead but it isn't you see the whole point is it's to do with money and where money rules then obviously uh when footballers wages are so stupid then um yes you know they, they, they'll they offer a few platitudes the easiest thing to do would be for everybody in the world to say we're not going to have it there you know but they won't do that because unfortunately they they act as though they're a collective and they're not they're totally disparate aren't they
1: well they are at the moment but we'll just have to wait and see Vince I mean this is this starts in I think it's November isn't it when the World Cup actually kicks off and all of the European leagues, at least, are going to have to be suspended for about a month because of the World Cup. We'll just have to see what the situation is when it actually happens. Um, it might well um, end up that quite a lot of the teams actually boycott it. We we, we don't know at the moment, Vince. What they talked about um, was behind closed doors amongst themselves. But there are bits of information which have been published But they haven't decided on a strategy yet and they're going to try and co- um, coordinate it with other national teams as well, because at the end of the day, they they're professional footballers, so they might not have a such a um, high level of formal education, but they can see what's going on with their eyes, can't they? Like everybody else can, the sort of things that are happening in the world, and eventually some of them are spurred on to use their position um, as sort of spokespeople because they are in a, a, the public eye, aren't they? And they aren't politicians, but yeah, they they've decided to use their positions to try and do some good. Now, whether or not they will do or not we'll have to wait and see
0: okay let's accept it all as uh good faith exactly what we read etc etc and nothing to do with manipulation and the sort of things that uh, could happen but um, if we accept that and then go to our second point today our second talking point um, Chelsea of course We know that Roman Abramovich brought the uh, Russian money in and did a fabulous job with making a great football team. However, uh, because of what happened with Russia and Ukraine, uh, then they've been able to take away the football club. Uh, oh, isn't it strange that these things can be done out of necessity, um, but it can cannot be done before things get to a stage, shall we say. And now Chelsea will be allowed to sell tickets to away games, cup matches and fixtures involving the women's team after the UK government made alterations to the club's special licence. The club have been unable to sell tickets since the owner, uh, Roman Abramovich, who I mentioned a minute ago, was sanctioned by the government as part of its response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Under the change licence, proceeds from ticket sales will go directly to the Premier League and then distributed to the relevant party. You see, all that's it's vague, isn't it? Who is the relevant party?
1: It's impossible to say, isn't it, Vince? It's just like uh, words that don't really make much sense, isn't it, when you add them all together? Well, that's exactly um, what I mean. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure exactly the ins and outs of where, what the government's position of power is, if, if you like, in this kind of situation, because it is a private entity, isn't it? Let's face it, Chelsea Football Club. Um, one of the things that's been um, a talking point in Spanish football this week is the fact that Real Madrid um, are playing Chelsea in the semi-finals of the Champions League. And they're not sure still whether or not any supporters, uh, travelling supporters from Real Madrid will be able to go. And they're also waiting for the uh, UK government to lift sanctions so that Real Madrid supporters can actually go and support the team playing away at Stamford Bridge. Um, But the actual takeover as it it stands at the moment is there are four um, key bidders to actually buy Chelsea Football Club. But they're going to have to get past a committee called the Chelsea Pitch Owners, or the CPO. And they um, are a, a group, it's a company, but they're a group that actually hold the freehold to Stamford Bridge Stadium itself. And they get the say-so on whether or not there's any sort of um, extensions to the ground or any sort of renovations they can do. And they've already turned down Abramovich before all this um, chaos took off between Russia and Euro- Ukraine. Um, Abramovich tried to expand the ground so they could get more seats in. And this Chelsea pitch owners um, turned them down, so that's another obstacle in the way to anyone wants to buy it. Do you know who the four bidders are, Vince?
0: Well, I've got ideas. I mean, I know uh, John Terry is involved with one particular uh, group of people. Then there's an American group, isn't there? Uh, th- there's a, a group that's con- it, it's already had. A record of um, discrimination against the Muslims, apparently, uh, from one group. I mean, you know, I haven't avidly followed this because basically, uh, whichever way, it will be shenanigans and political goings-on of which I've got absolutely no control. So um, I I really can't get as interested as I should do. I will note, by the way, Chelsea have requested that any money generated by ticket sales, which the club would have usually received, be donated to the Victims of war in Ukraine, and the Premier League said that beneficiary charities will be announced in due course after consultation with the club. Let me just also add in, as a little background to that uh, rather abstract statement, is that um, West. Who had the footballer booting the cat round on uh, YouTube or something? Um, last time we checked there, uh, the money that they were going to be paying to the RSPCA hadn't gone. So, you know, you pays your money, takes your choice, you read things, and you say to yourself, yeah, maybe we'll see what happens. Um, okay, you're going to tell us about the four consortia then, are we?
1: Well, the people who are putting in bids um, at the moment for Chelsea, there are four main contenders, Vince. One of them is quite an unusual guy, he's called Hans-Jörg Wiss, he's called, and he's an 86-year-old Swiss-American philanthropist. Now, why an 86-year-old Swiss-American philanthropist would be interested in buying a football club, nobody's really sure. But he's a, a multi-multi-millionaire, and he has, he has invested in lots of charitable prog- projects over the year, but this isn't a charitable project. So that's number one. Um, There's another one. It's an American consortium uh, headed by a guy called Todd Bowley. He's called or Bowley. They tried to buy Chelsea in 2019 for $3 billion, but uh, Abramovich turned him down. That is just one of these bland American corporations. Now, the the candidate that I would prefer, and I think a lot of uh, people in just spectators of football like myself would prefer, it's a guy called Nick Candy. And he is 49 years old. He's a lifelong uh, Chelsea supporter. He's actually from the area. He's from London originally. And he made his money as a multi-million pound property developer with his brother, uh, with a company called Candy and Candy, which you might have heard of. I'd heard of them vaguely. But he is actually a lifelong Chelsea supporter. And he's putting in a bid as well. And he is a local lad. He's a supporter. He will actually do what he can for the club. And the fourth one... Would you be surprised to find out? It's a global investment firm called Centricus. So we'll say no more on that, Vince, but mm-hmm. basically just a globe, one of these global investi- um, investment firms are putting in the fourth bid. It's still all up in the air at the moment, but personally, I would like to see this uh, Nick Candy take over because he is a supporter at the end of the day.
0: he's. Uh, I think his involvement is with John Terry, isn't he? He's in that consortium, I think.
1: Yeah, indeed, indeed Vince. Yeah, people who've already been involved with Chelsea Football Club and um, he's heading up this consortium, yeah, and, of people uh, who are basically interested in the club rather than just buying it as as an investment to make money out of.
0: And that very well known football supporter, Sebastian Coe, he's in one of the uh, consortia groups. It could be that one. I don't, I'm not too sure, um, but it you know he's, the,
1: he's, a Spurs, he's a Spurs supporter, isn't he?
0: Well, I, I don't know, but I mean, at the end of the day, um, yeah. I, I mean, it's all about the money, and it. I think the latest figure I saw was 2.3 billion. Was that um, about right for the for the cost? Yeah. Okay. Well,
1: that, yeah, yeah, yeah. That what that that figure is the sort of figure they're talking about, Vince. Um, but we'll 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 find out as time progresses. And as you said earlier on, we don't have any say over it. But um, I would prefer it to stay in the hands of somebody who or a group of people who actually care about the football club. Although I'm not a Chelsea supporter myself, I know that it's where I prefer to see football is the people who are involved, the people who actually care about the game.
0: Well, you know the protocols, of course, uh, will strictly be followed, of course, uh, which leads us nicely to the next talking point, which is basically, um, I spotted that Russia are still able to put in a bid for the Euros in 2028. Now, you see, this is very, very similar to what we've just been talking about. Uh, Who does The vetting, who does the checking as to where that money that all these people, um, you know, who've got these bids in, uh, you know, did they not do this with the Bramovich in the past? Of course they didn't. Um, Are they going to do it with these people that are coming in? Of course they won't. I mean, they'll go through the lip service and, you know, go through the the, the words that uh, placate everybody. Um, How on earth can Russia even now be considering putting a bid in for the Euros and nobody seems to say anything about it. I mean, that's just absurd, isn't it?
1: Completely, Vince. Um, And it was a last minute bid as well. um, Personally, I find it somewhat cynical, very cynical, in fact, that um, the Russians would put in a bid for the uh, 2028 or the 2032. Also, they put in a bid for each one, the Euros in the 2028 and the Euros in 2032, um, when they're in the middle of a war. And they, their international reputation is probably about as low as you can possibly get. And they've decided to put a bid in for um, a major international football competition. Um, it doesn't make any sense to me at all. I think FIFA and UEFA will probably turn them down. The last thing that I read um, last night was that they put in the bid, but they have to have everything ready. I think it's by next Tuesday. Um, they've got to have all of the necessary... Um, documentation to prove that they've got the um, safety requirements. Safety and security is the main thing that people are concerned about these days when it comes to organising major football tournaments. And obviously Russia at this present time is not in any position to do that whatsoever. So I think it was just like... just. Getting a little bit extra publicity possibly for for Russia, I really don't know. Well, no, I mean... I can't can't say... I I don't think FIFA or UEFA will take them seriously, though. It's quite simple
0: for me. You, You just put an announcement out. Russia reckons that they can still put in a bid for the 2028s. FIFA or UEFA or whoever it needs to be say, without a shadow of doubt, no chance. End of story. We all stop talking about it. We get on with life. Let's change the subject. Stand by. I'll, I'll get a little bit of mood music going. Here we go. Okay, so just to um, change the mood totally, um, we have a commentator who used to be a footballer. You'll give the give the background in a second. Chris Kamara with health problems uh, that transmitted themselves during his Sky TV show. Um, So give us the background of uh, this lovely uh, guy that comes across as a a real genuinely nice man. uh, Chris Kamara.
1: Oh, Chris Kamara, yes. Um, or Cammy, as he's known as. Um, he's a very, very well-known um, football commentator at the moment. He doesn't actually commentate on live matches, but he's actually the reporter at the ground. Um, and he, he's he been working on a... He's an ex-player. He had quite an illustrious career, actually. He, he's originally from Middlesbrough. That's where he was born. Um, but then he played for a list of teams during his playing career. He actually played for Leeds. He played 20 matches for Leeds in the uh, the season where Leeds won the um, f- old First Division Championship in 1990, 1991. Chris Kamara started the season with Leeds and then got sold halfway through because he couldn't get a first-team place. So that's one of his claims to fame is that he didn't actually <laughs> win the title with Leeds. Um, but no, he, he, he's always been a funny character. Um, he... he he was actually um, offered the chance to play for Sierra Leone because he's mixed race on the p- side of his father. And he was offered to play for Sierra Leone in the 1994 World Cup, I think it was. And he turned it down because he just couldn't fit it in with the sort of travelling from where he was living in the UK. But he's a real character, is Chris Kamara. Um, he was working on a, a Sky TV's Soccer Saturday, which is where he's best known for. And like I say he, he, his job, basically, is to commentate on what is actually happening in the match rather than giving a match commentary so the cameras will go to him and he's not giving a live commentary but he's sort of like explaining what the atmosphere is and what he can see and things like that and he has a really good double act going with um a guy called jeff stelling who's the main presenter of the show he's from harleypool so they're both from the northeast and they have a really really good connection um but he makes some real gaffs on air bees. One of his main ones, which he can, if anyone wants to watch uh, Chris Kamara on YouTube, just put in, I don't know Jeff, all right, with a J, that's Jeff G E F F. And you get all sorts of different compilations of Chris Kamara and some of the things he comes out with. Some of the comments he makes are really funny. And he doesn't always follow exactly what's going on the pitch, for example. There's one incident which is very famous where he thought a player had been substituted, but the player had actually been shown a red card <laughs> um, because he'd missed it because he, he he was talking into the camera and he's, he's a really nice bloke. However, um, on the unfortunate side of this, he's got thyroid problems um, and he's got a, a low thyroid um, count and that has affected his speech. He's got what's called a praxia of speech, which is where your brain works faster than the words that actually come out of your mouth. Now, that is quite a serious problem, especially for somebody who's a uh, a commentator. And it could be a sign of many things, but there's um, any kind of degenerative brain condition, basically, can show these signs. He's going through tests, but it was his wife who actually spotted a couple of weeks ago when he was doing a live broadcast that he's always spoken quickly and he's always minced his words because he gabbles quite a lot. But um, she noticed that there was something not right about the way that he, he changed the way that he was speaking anyway he's had these tests and unfortunately he's had to um, give up his job as, um, as a reporter on this uh, soccer Saturday because he's got to undergo treatment to see if there's anything they can do to um, to make him better now he he's made it very clear that if he is suffering some, from some kind of dementia which isn't clear at the moment nobody knows but he says he does not regret or blame his condition on his footballing career or his his life in general, and he thinks that 99.9% of ex-pros and today's pros would feel the same. He's got no regrets about. It. He was a midfielder and he did get some knocks. Let's face it. Um, but if if it does boil down to the fact that he's got some sort of dementia, he, he's not going to blame it on the fact that he used to be a professional footballer. Oh, but okay. It's a very it's, a, it's quite sad news because he is a really lovely guy. Um, and we just wish him all the best things OK well exactly
0: that's what I'm just about to say uh, just about to say that he definitely is a great character and uh, the world needs characters like him so good luck to Chris Kamara. Yeah. as we move next to the definitely. FA Cup Okay, so with the FA Cup, we've just had uh, the quarterfinals and uh, it produced some absolutely wonderful games. I've got to say um, that certainly I thought the Swansea game uh, against Middlesbrough, that was uh, quite tight, really. Still only two goals in it. So well done to Middlesbrough. Good run there for them. Uh, Southampton absolutely, um, well, the the tidal wave of Man City in full flow took them to a 4-1 defeat. Uh, Crystal Palace was sublime against Everton, who were capitulated at 4-0. And Nottingham Forest, uh, they did very well to keep Liverpool down to one goal. I don't think they really troubled Liverpool as much as people would say. Um, But... Quite frankly, um, I think that um, they did themselves proud and the, the spectators there were great. Uh, so, mm-hmm. a- any particular moments or anything that you'd like to add into what I've just said about those semi-quarterfinals?
1: Well, the quarterfinals, yes, uh, Vince. Well, Palace obviously slaughtered Everton 4-0. Um, now they're into the semis against uh, against Chelsea. Everton basically... Had nothing, do they? And Frank Lampard, at the end of the match, um, he was very, very serious about it. Basically, what they've got to do now, Everton, is fight their way out of the relegation battle. Now, the way they're going, we'll have to wait and see. But it doesn't look good for them at all, does it? It doesn't. Now, no, it doesn't at all. But uh, there's pet for Leeds, really, for Everton or worse. But um, there you go. But yeah, I really enjoyed the uh, Forest Liverpool match, actually, even though there was only one goal in it, and Liverpool won there in the semi-final against Man City. Um, the atmosphere at the ground, as you mentioned y- yourself, the, these were two. These are two teams that they haven't met for several years because they've been in different divisions. But they were both the top European teams in the late 1970s and early 1980s, weren't they, Vince? Nottingham Forest and Liverpool were triumphing in Europe. And so it was like a really big match for both teams, in a sense. Liverpool respected um, Forest And it was like a a nod of respect from one team to another. And the supporters really got behind both teams. Um, There was no crowd trouble whatsoever. Everybody was just enjoying the entertainment. And I think Forrest did well, actually, considering that Forrest were in the championship, to keep it down to a 1-0. But, uh, yeah, the atmosphere there looks absolutely brilliant, Vince.
0: Okay, now we go to the semi finals, and um, Crystal Palace and Chelsea won't have that far to go to Wembley, but uh, Liverpool and Man City. Uh, both clubs have issued a joint statement via the mayor of each of those uh, particular cities, saying that really, with all the troubles they've got on the network, uh, the uh, railways and the roads, uh, to get all the way down to London, it would be far more sensible to reschedule and uh, Jurgen Klopp was saying uh, that it it wouldn't even be a problem if it was in Manchester, which would make sense, because it's Really, uh, it's one of those... It's a it's a great match to watch, the semi-final. And really, I think to have both of the semi-finals in the um, Wembley Stadium is wrong anyway because it takes away the unique part of being in the cup final. Uh, what do you think about my comment there?
1: Well, um, I've heard this story as well, Vince, and um, it is a very interesting point, isn't it? Um, Chelsea and Palace... They're playing in one semi-cup final and they're both London teams. So, as you say, they won't have to travel that far, the fans of either team, won't have to travel that far to actually get to Wembley because they're both London-based. But Man City and Liverpool, it does seem a bit stupid, doesn't it? Especially under the current um, situation with people are talking about fuel prices rising and we've still got COVID lurking about somewhere and... And everything else which is going on in the world at the moment, we've got two northern teams, um, sort of the Lancashire side of the world, if you like, uh, Manchester against Liverpool. The sensible option, in my opinion, would be to stage their semi-final in a suitable ground. And there's lots of grounds in the north of England, isn't there? Let's face it, they could play at Old Trafford if Klopp's not bothered about playing in Manchester. They could uh, play at possibly Everton's ground. They could play it possibly even at Elland Road. Um there are lots of decent grounds in the North of England, and the fans wouldn't have to travel so far, and you get a lot better atmosphere, wouldn't you? um, rather than everybody having to go down to Wembley and it being half full because not everybody can actually go i I, I totally agree. I think uh, personally I think the match should be played somewhere in the north.
0: Okay, now we've got lots of things that we're still going to be talking about as uh, we'll rush across uh, to Rob's roundup of La Liga. Rob Daniels. Now, uh, there's going to be a very exciting uh, description of El Clasico, Real Madrid and Barcelona. So that was a bit of a turn up for the books with form
1: in in the back of your mind. Uh, what did you make of that game? Well, this was El Clasico last weekend, Vince. Um, Real Madrid against Barcelona, and it ended up Real Madrid nil, Barcelona four. Now that was a result that I don't think many people would have predicted. Um, Barcelona came out to play, and Real Madrid were quite shambolic, to be honest. Um, they have got a lot of problems at the moment with Real Madrid. Although they're well ahead um, in the points table at the moment, at the top of La Liga, they are on downhill form, and Barcelona are, are looking quite good. I mean, they got four, four goals in away from home against Real Madrid in the Clásica, so. Uh, the bragging rights go to them. It was a very good match, actually. Uh, Pierre-Emerick B- B- Abamayang, the ex-Arsenal player, who was now playing for Barcelona. He went in the transfer window. Um, he got two. So uh, he, he's like um, a Barcelona hero at the moment. And um, They got two other goals in. It was all Barcelona. Real Madrid didn't have a shout. And they say there's lots of backroom um, arguing at the moment in Real Madrid about what's going on. Um, Guti, the ex-player, um, ex-Spanish player who played for them from 1995 till 2010 has actually stayed, now he's in the background um, at Real Madrid, he's actually stated that there are certain players who were sitting on the bench at Real Madrid who've got no interest in playing. And um, our old friend Gareth Bale was one of the ones that was actually mentioned because he's, he's at Real Madrid again. He came, he's been on the pitch a couple of times this season, but he doesn't actually seem to be trying to do anything. And they yeah, they basically need to uh, have a squad sort out, I would say, probably at the end of this season. At the moment, they're in the lead, though. But Barcelona are creeping up. We've got Real Madrid, 29 matches, 66 points. Sevilla in second place on 57. But then we've got Barcelona, um, a match less, on 54. Now, they're creeping up the table. There are only nine matches left. So it might be a bit late for them to actually catch up. But... If Real Madrid make a couple of slip-ups and Barcelona continue on the form that they're on at the moment, then we might actually have a fight for the uh, for La Liga at the end of the season. Let's just also
0: cast our mind back just a week ago when um, the French club with all the money, PSG... Uh, they were hosting Real Madrid. Now, if my memory serves me well, uh, it was 2-0 and uh, wasn't there a hat-trick by Benzema or something like that uh, to bring it up to 3-2 and everybody was telling me how good uh, Real Madrid was. So it's this business of form, isn't it, really? Because it's really weird. Xavi's gone into Barcelona. He's obviously doing something right i mean um, you know they, they can't come from the depths of the economic mess that they were in with all the players uh, not knowing what what on earth was going on and then suddenly here we are um el clasico 4-0 ai chinese triad betting away like crazy i mean it's a bit strange isn't it to say the least
1: well benson was out injured um for the clasico which um was well was unfortunate for him and all, unfortunate for Real Madrid because he is their key player at the moment, and that that is one of their problems. Is they they rely on these key players, and if Bentham is not playing, then they haven't got really got a, a d- decent goal scorer. I mean, they've got a lot of people to choose from. One of them, which is Gareth Bale, but um, when he's on the pitch, he doesn't seem to do anything. And there's very there's various other players that don't seem to do anything on the pitch either. Whereas Barcelona, Xavi has been creating sort of in the background, if you like. They haven't been boasting about it, um, which Barcelona often do, especially when they're winning. But they've been creeping up the table. They are in eighth position not that long ago, Vince. They've never been in the bottom half, I don't think, this season. But they had a really bad start. And now they're up into third. And they've done it more or less on the sly without trumpeting themselves to the rest of the world. And um, they are looking really, really good. Chavvy's turned them into a, an excellent team. Some really good um, buys, if you like, in the transfer window. He's trying to re- rebuild the uh, disaster that Kuman made when he uh, when he was a manager.
0: Okay. Well, then, uh, thank you for the uh, the roundup. Now we have. These are so important international fixtures coming up now. Everybody is riveted to the TV screens, uh, in particular to watch Spain play Albania first and then Iceland. So we have uh, a real quality pair of football matches coming up for uh, Spain. And then England, well, they'll have a bit of a test against Switzerland, so I don't expect them to romp home with that one. Uh, But then they've got the might of Ivory Coast to play um, uh, on the following Tuesday. Now, I don't know about you, uh, but really, I haven't thought twice about these. I will put them on. I mean, it's just when there's nothing else to watch. When the TV's so awful and there's a football match on, you'll watch the football match, but really... Uh, Spain-Albania. Who's going to get excited about that one?
1: Maybe some Albanians who live living in Spain, possibly, to go and watch the national team play, but I can't see that many Spanish people really being interested. Um, the, the reason we've got this international break, Vince, as you know, is because they're, they're having to play catch-up with uh, the World Cup qualifiers. Um, and there are certain um, con- example, like Africa, um, the Central American, the South American, um, different um, organizations, they've had lots of matches postponed due to COVID and various other things. And basically, they've got to get their own qualifying done um, as soon as possible. So that's why we're having this international break. There are actually some matches going on in Europe, which um, are probably more interesting than the Albania, Spain against Albania and Iceland or England against Switzerland and the Ivory Coast. We've got, in Europe, we've got Italy against North Macedonia. We've got Portugal against Turkey. We've got Sweden against the Czech Republic. And we've got Wales, which is sort of UK interest. We've got Wales against Austria. Um, They're all playing tonight, actually. They're playing on Thursday, the 24th of March, which is this evening. And they are all in the knockout stage. It's a two-leg knockout stage. And out of 12 teams that are involved, um, only three of the teams get through. So in that mix, we've got basically we've got Italy and Portugal, which are two major football uh, nations, aren't they? Yeah. And we've got Wales in there as well, which it'd be nice to see if Wales can, if Gareth Bale comes up and pops up and plays well for Wales, then people are going to be questioning why he's getting so much wages at Real Madrid, aren't they? Of course. But no, there, there are there are some competitive matches being played as well. But uh, like I say, England, we're already qualified. Spain are already qualified. So we've got to play these basically pointless matches um, Matches, Yeah, anyone who lives in Spain from Albania will be really happy because they, their team will be playing here. Anybody who lives in England from the Ivory Coast, for example, will be really pleased because their team's playing against England. But as far as we're concerned, it's completely pointless.
0: Well, I'll be getting a couple of tins of paint. I've got a couple of patches on the wall. <laughs> uh, so I'll probably be having one eye on those and another eye on the TV. Uh, yeah, I'm not excited. I can't say I'm excited. But again, there's that little really good good stuff on the TV um, you know sooner or later uh, it's like when people buy TVs and they tell me wow I've got 12,000 films to watch and I'm thinking what the hell are you gonna watch them on um, you know 12,000 films gonna take a few hours anyway um there, there's all the excitement then the feverish pitch has gone for me um, Let's go back and find out what we thought of some of the matches that were played as we review the Premier Games of last week. Okay, so we won't be doing any predictions ahead for this week, Um, but we'll go back to, uh, we'll start with Arsenal, um, sorry, Everton. Everton against, uh, no, I will start with Arsenal. Arsenal uh, entertained Liverpool and um, we managed to put two past them. Oh, hang on, I'm g- giving me colours away. Uh, Liverpool managed to uh, win 2-0 at Arsenal. Uh, that was last Thursday, uh, Wednesday the 16th it was. Do you remember that game or have I lost you?
1: Yep. Yeah, You. I- I do vaguely remember that game actually, but I I was more concentrating on the uh, the Liverpool sort of um, the quarter final.
0: Um, okay, well it was earlier okay, in the...
1: against against Forest, but I do remember that game vaguely. But um, Liverpool won, didn't they?
0: Well, it was earlier in the week, and um, you know I knew Arsenal were not going to be an easy team because they really are beginning to look good again. Um, but it was quite comfortable, and uh, we'll go to the. Thursday game to start with, then when Everton played Newcastle, Uh, I thought Newcastle would win. You thought Newcastle would win. Everton won. The triads at work again. What did you make of that game?
1: That was um, one, yeah, a result that I wasn't expecting either, Vince. Um, I'll say. We thought that Newcastle, well, Newcastle are on a good run, that Newcastle are putting a uh, good few points between themselves and relegation zone. But, and Everton are on a run bad of form, as we've just mentioned. They, they're they not playing well. They got beat by 4 0 by Palace in the uh, Cup. But they managed to win that one. So that's three points to Everton that they desperately need. Um, but, yeah, I, I thought Newcastle would win that. I thought Newcastle were. Um, We're going to try and get a top half finish, to be honest.
0: Let me be a little controversial uh, just for a second or two, uh, because it does seem rather hypocritical. You've got uh, Abramovich, obviously, and all the problems that now are in Chelsea. On the days that uh, were there last week, I think there was one day that the Saudis beheaded, I think it was 81 people. Now, I didn't hear any murmurings about Manchester City's money or uh, Newcastle United's money. I mean, it's just totally, utterly hypocritical. You know, not one banner was uh, observed anywhere in the crowd or anything like that. So, you know, it's all about when it suits us to make any complaints. We go to Friday and Wolves against Leeds United. Wolves two up. I thought the Wolves would have won just by an odd goal. Uh, you thought they were going to draw. And what happened? A great comeback. I can see the smile beginning to come onto your cheeks as we describe the comeback, or one of the best comebacks of the year so far. Wolves 2 leads 3.
1: That was a really, I really enjoyed that match, Vince. Um, I'll put them down for a draw, which I think I'll do in the future, actually, because when I put them down for a draw, they win. But, um, yeah, Wolves were 2-0 up at half-time. And then in the 53rd minute, Raul Jimenez got sent off for Wolves. He got a red card. So they're down to 10 men. And then Leeds had a a really tremendous comeback. Um, Jack Harrison got one in in the 63rd. Rodrigo got one in the 66, and then Luke Ayling actually finished it off and got the third goal, the winner in the 90 plus one. Now, I would have been happy with the 2-2 draw, especially because that's what I predicted. But for Leeds getting the winner in the 91st minute, um, they really need the points. They proved they can do it against um, a decent team. Even though Wolves went down to 10, Leeds were looking really good. I I think that Leeds are looking really um, like a different team, really, under this new manager.
0: Again, just a little um, salt on the wound. Um, it, it would appear that there's so much inconsistency with these sendings off. Um, if you look at sort of um, the, 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 the uh, well, there are a couple that spring to mind. the Jordan Pickford coming out and uh, putting Virgil van Dyke out of action for a year. Um, didn't even get a yellow card. Jimenez, I think, it was more the second yellow than a bad first red, wasn't it?
1: Yes, I, th- I think it was. But he, he, when he watched the replay, he deserved it. He, he, he was quite the violent, if you like, in his attacking. Now he should be careful because he, he also was out for a long time, wasn't he, with, um, with a fractured skull. Um, but it just goes to prove that when, you, when you get these professional football players. He's back in and he's getting right involved um, in the physical side of the game. And it is a physical game at the end of the day, Vince, isn't it? It's not a no, non-contact sport. But um, he's got to wear a special sort of like head sort um, headband, hasn't he, to yeah. protect his head. But he's getting right involved in all sorts of argy-bargy and ends up getting sent off for it. Um, I think it was, yeah, it was. he deserved the second yellow, I think. But that changed the match, I would say, when they were down to 10 and Leeds came back and won it 3-2.
0: Yeah, well, I was delighted for your team, but uh, I was just a little bit um, concerned by the way it happened. But anyway, we go to the Saturday games next and we start off with Aston Villa and Arsenal. Now, I thought Villa would have won this one. Again, you thought it was a draw. It was Arsenal that won 1-0. So... That, in my book, did show me that, um, A, I thought Aston Villa looked quite good. And I did think that Arsenal also looked quite good. We've got two quite good teams on the go there. And, um, you know, the trouble is one goal doesn't always tell the full story. What did you think of that game?
1: I thought that was a good game. I mean, it's actually, It was fairly evenly matched. I mean, at the end of the uh, match, it was only 1-0, wasn't it, to Arsenal? But Arsenal are looking like quite a serious team at the moment. They they've had an up and down season. They've been sort of midway. They've been down at the bottom of the table, weren't they? Let's face it. For the first three matches of the season, uh, Arsenal were actually the bottom team. But they've come back since then, and they've been up and down. But now they're in fourth position. Um, So they're in a Champions League place, and they seem to be coming really coming together really well as a team. Um, so it wasn't a surprising result, but it was quite a good match for only one goal in it. I think it shows you quite clearly that if you've got a strong manager, and
0: Arteta is a strong manager, and if you've got a, a player with some sort of real uh, character, flair, whatever you want to call it, Obama Yank. Now, Obama Yang goes across and uh, manages to score in a huge game in Spain, but he wasn't doing it in uh, the Arsenal situation. So um, you, you begin to wonder what really was going on with the Obama Yang situation. And I think you can see this quite clearly in a number of clubs. Pogba, for example, um, you, you know, he has been a problem at Manchester United, although I've got to say, I feel very sorry for him because apparently his home was burgled, and um, the uh, the perpetrators actually got into the house while he was obviously playing football, and um, managed to steal a couple of his World Cup medals. And obviously the the family have been pretty pretty terrorised because of the event. And you can see that there is a pie a price to pay. For the fame and the money that goes with being a professional footballer, Um, I often say, and I will say it till probably the day I die, they get paid silly money. It does not make any sense. Is it a distraction? It can't possibly be that they're worth it. I don't care who you are. Ronaldo is not worth £500,000 a week. Um, The only thing for me is it demotivates ordinary people doing ordinary jobs so that kids dream about earning the pools every single week of the year. Um, Okay, so uh, back to the pitch then and we'll go to the game between Man City and Brighton. Now, Brighton had shown... The early part of the season that they were quite a good team. Many times people had praised the manager. Uh, I think it's Harry Potter. I'm not too sure exactly whether that's the right name. But he's working his magic. And um, Man City managed to win this one comfortably. Only two goals. But again, class. They oozed class. They're such a lovely team to watch, Man City. Uh, Man City 2, Brighton 0. Did you see that game?
1: I saw the highlights of it, Vince, and the, you're right. Man City, when when they don't really need to – it looks like they don't – they're not doing very much. That's the way it looks. It's so it's so sort of well-precise, precisely timed. They all work like a machine. And it looks like they're not actually doing anything. But as you know, and all of the listeners who have ever played football knows, what they're actually doing is absolutely fantastic. I mean, it's it's really, really fast. It's really, really well-controlled. Um, It's a joy to watch, isn't it? And um, Brighton at the moment, it's uh, Harry Potter, Graham Potter, I think he's called, (laughs) the uh, geography teacher. Um, (coughs) They're going through a bad spell of form at the moment. They've had a good season, so they're not in any relegation um, trouble as we speak, although they're not that far away now, but they seem to be in a reasonable position. But yeah, when Man City play... It just looks so easy, but it's fantastic to watch.
0: Yeah, it's almost like watching billiards. I mean, you you see the ball being just passed along, and it's just like watching the beige on the on the billiards. It's absolutely spellbinding at times. Um, it's
1: precise, isn't it? And and it, that is it, that is very very difficult to do. Let's face it, this is a perfectly timed machine, isn't it?
0: It is. We go next to Norwich, where the Canaries have not been really chirping as they should be. Um, Mind you, it's probably because Delia Smith hasn't been out and been singing on the microphone at half-time, as she did a couple of years back. And Chelsea with the visitors, I thought it'd be about um, 3-0. I think it was 3-0, this one. No, hang on. What am I talking about? That wasn't even played. Sorry about that. I'm waxing lyrical about something that didn't happen. Um, I'll put down my whiskey and go to Spurs against West Ham. Uh, I thought Spurs would win this one 3-2. They won it 3-1. And you again, I think you had um, a lot of draws on your mind that particular day. Um, So Spurs... Against West Ham, I mean, that was a good win for Spurs because West Ham are a good team. A big London derby. David Moyes has got a very, very strong team. It's a little bit erratic like Spurs. Um, Very, very strange. But when Kane and Son get together, um, probably, you know, having jotted down a few lines for his speech when he's talking about Qatar later in, in the in the month or maybe at these particular um, England friendlies. Um, I mean, Kane can play football still. He's a good player. But Son, he is brilliant. When he gets going, I would love him to play for our team. What about you?
1: Well, I'd love him to play for my team as well, Vince. Um, but I think he's probably staying at Spurs. I think he's very happy. <clears throat> when you see him in the post-match interview... Um, he does seem very happy with where he's at the moment, and he got two in at the weekend, didn't he? Um, Kurt Zuma, the, uh, the Catman, he got an own goal for West AM. Um, so I think uh, the crowd were quite happy about that when uh, when Kurt Zuma got an own goal. But uh, yeah, um, Spurs, they are actually fighting for a, a Champions League place at the moment. They've actually gone over West Ham who are having a bit of an off spell at the moment, they're were in with, they still in with a chance of getting into Europe, but they're not in a European position at the moment. So, yeah, for a London derby, Spurs came out on top. And they can play good football, can't they? And the Kane and Son partnership, when it works, that is really nice to watch as well. Yeah. Well, uh, one, one of the things... He's that- so fast, isn't he? That Son, he's so, he's so quick.
0: Well, I remember him running the length of the field and scoring a goal in one game. And uh, it, it looks like whenever he gets the ball, there's a possibility that he could replicate that. Talking about things which are nice to see... It's lovely when you're doing a Skype interview uh, to watch the look of horror on somebody's face when you give them the information like I was waxing lyrical over Norwich City. Your face, if I could have captured that, I would have um, sent you a picture because you, you, I could see you were thinking, what the hell is he talking about? Sorry if I got you a little bit alarmed there. Uh, oh,
1: okay, but so I was I was trying to look back through matches from several <laughs> weeks ago to see if that match actually existed. I don't know where you got that one from. <laughs> well,
0: yeah. The thing. The thing is, you see, it is. It's everything's mixed up at the moment. And, uh, you you know, I try to work a couple of days ahead because basically, um, you know, if you don't plan what you're going to talk about, uh, then you you only have to listen to some of the other podcasts knocking around to know that people don't prepare things. So it looked like I hadn't prepared that. I had prepared it. um, But because of all the other things going on, I had to use a different space. And anyway, enough of that.
1: It is is difficult to keep track of um, all the matches, isn't it? Because they've got they've got. These odd catch-up matches in between the the normal league matches. And it, it does get a bit confusing, doesn't it? Everything's all over the place this season. So, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, no problem with
0: that. <laughs> not only that, but, you know, we've got to keep a little bit of an eye on the championship because these are teams that have been involved in the uh, FA Cup and the Carabao Cup. And, uh, you know, they're going to, three of them will be coming back up uh, to play in the Premier League. So, uh, um, you know, you juggle a lot. Uh, let's go to Leicester now. Uh, this game I know did take place. Uh, 2-1 Leicester uh, against Brentford and you thought it would be 2-1 so you got that right I thought it would be 2-2 so I had uh, my draws on the wrong way uh, for that one so it looked to me um, Christian Harrison uh, has done marvellous work with the Brentford team he's really slotted in well and I think you know that's not a bad result actually for Brentford to go to Leicester Uh, Leicester again they're quite erratic this year Uh, I suppose a lot of it is down to the injuries. And, um, you you know, when you look at the manager, Brendan Rodgers, earlier in the season, they were linking his name with Manchester United, if you remember that. Um, Whereas, really, if he's got any sense, he'll probably stay put, stay where he is in a lovely situation. They're a cracking team. Um, you, You know, even still, everybody waxes lyrical about the year that Leicester ran away and won the Premier League against all the odds. Uh, Claudio Ranieri, lovely manager. We saw him back managing Watford this year, you know, and uh, it's such a strange game. What do you think of that one? Leicester against Brentford.
1: Well, that put a dint in uh, Brentford's um attempt to get themselves out of the relegation um battle, didn't it really, Vince? But um yeah, Leicester have had a an up and down season, haven't they? They're mid table at the moment, which I think is where they'll stay. And I think that's probably where they deserve to be. Um, because they haven't shone particularly this season. But I think you're right about Brendan Rodgers. He's got a nice setup there. He's got a good team. They work for him. He seems to be very happy himself when he's giving the post-match interviews and things. He, se- he seems to be very happy. But there are people, as you mentioned, Man- Manchester United, for example, who would try to catch him, if you like, as- and get him to be their manager. But So, yeah, good result for uh, Leicester. Not a good result for Brentford because it means that now... They're only one point above Leeds at the bottom end of the table.
0: Okay, now uh, we're going to be able to just do a little bit of um, catch up on a couple of things I wanted to talk to you about. Whether you'd seen these two things, there was a match uh, which we saw a a clip. You probably wouldn't have seen this. It was a match in Malaya and uh, you could see that um, one of the players deliberately smashed his elbow in some sort of Mai Tai sport, Kung Fu related um, blow to the elbow uh, onto the guy's uh, face. Uh, Obviously, you know, there was a big hoo-ha and I think the guy got sent off. The point that I wanted to just quickly ask you is, I think this year we do seem to have seen a lot more incidences of elbow Um, misappropriation and um, it's something that people forget the elbow in martial arts for example can be used as a weapon so therefore if you're jumping in a football at speed going high you do have to be very very careful how you use it unless of course some people are either being able to use it as a means to attack another player Um, any thoughts on that one?
1: Well, there are certain players um, all over the world, Vince, but there are certain players who, uh, when they're jumping for a ball, for example, especially defenders, that they do sort of try to use their elbows as um, protection, don't they? Uh, or try to elbow the other player in the face or in the chest or something. And, and as you say, an elbow, especially if it's hits um, your, your face, for example, it, it, it can cause quite a lot of damage, can't it? They're supposed to jump with their hands down by their sides, but none of them do.
0: Well, I don't think that, you see, again, that's how silly the rule is, because I don't think you can do that.
1: No, you can't, you can't, you can't, you you tried it, jumping jump without using your arms for sort of balance. Well. But you, there are, you can't do it really, can you?
0: When, but, when, when um, I some was. Of, some um, players
1: take advantage of it.
0: Yeah, when I was training uh, the, the kids in the YTS uh, down at Cornwall College in the sports department, Uh, they just they'd only really started looking at disabilities and trying to help people with disability take more interest in sports and so we used to do a number of exercises like trying to run with your hands tied behind your back now you try and do that even it it really is restrictive and I think um, you you know uh, running blind for example because even blind soccer is something that people don't realize goes on Um, another thing that I want to just quickly mention was obviously while all the Chelsea uh, furore and fallout is taking place um, what is another lesser known uh, um, catastrophe is for all the young professionals now the players of course if they have to they will move to other clubs uh, whereas these lads are really now in a very parlous situation with their future so there's always little bits and pieces that we don't know about and um, then just one other thing that I uh, picked up this week is Frank Lampard talking about not being able to get into the minds of the Everton players. Now, you see, this is sports psychology at its best. When you get somebody who has been brilliant, uh, Lampard is one, Stephen Gerrard is another. They're now managers and they've got to try and use the psychology of trying to get their psyche into the minds of their players. It becomes very, very interesting and an area which has always been something that does interest me. Uh, you know, when you can get 11 players up for a special game, that sort of thing. Um, what are your thoughts on that subject?
1: Yeah, uh, Frank Lampard, he's quite, I find him quite interesting, actually. I've always, I've always liked him as a player. He was an excellent player, wasn't he? But now, as a manager... He is quite. He's very serious, isn't he? He's. he's, I'm not sure how he actually motivates his players, um, but he's very serious, and I think he possibly needs to lighten up a little bit because um, he says Stevie Gerrard. He's doing well at Aston Villa, isn't he? Even though they lost the the, uh, against Arsenal, but he's more sort of um, optimistic, I would say, as a character. Again, I like him as a manager. He's shaking up really well. But uh, Frank Lampard does seem to be sort of a bit gloom and doom sometimes, um, possibly because they're not getting the right results. I don't know. But uh, I'd be interested to see what his what his training sessions are actually like. I might I might see if he can find anything on the, the internet to see what his training training techniques are.
0: Well, of course, uh, straight away you'd think he'd be on the phone to his uncle uh, Harry. You know, Harry Redknapp. Uh um, oh, he
1: comes he comes he comes from a footballing family doesn't he so he's got a lot of responsibility in that sense he's he's got to live up to the he's got to live up to the family reputation hasn't he
0: I think there's deeper deeper problems at Everton because if Rafa ben- Benitez with his different style of manager couldn't hack it um then obviously there's there are things there that should uh, be addressed anyway look we're right up to the last 30 seconds for you to say your goodbyes
1: Right, Vince. Well, we've got through a lot again today, haven't we? As we always do. And uh, fortunately today, hasn't all been gloom and doom, has it? So uh, I hope everyone has a good week and I look forward to speaking with you again next week.
0: Thanks very much indeed, Rob. And uh, don't forget, keep your paint handy for the the internationals. Catch you next Galoo. week. Bye, Vince. Rob Daniels and Vince Tracy. Talking Football.